Well, good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Is this thing on? No. Um, Christy made me laugh when she was talking about wearing, you know, not having a jacket on when it's 30 degrees out, short sleeve. It's like, you know you're from Colorado when you shovel snow in shorts, right? That's, uh, and it depends on what side of the street you live on, too. <laughs> you're either freezing or you're getting a suntan. that yeah, works that way. But um, let's pray. Father, you're good. You're amazingly good. And so you are the one who keeps us and sustains us. I pray this morning as we look into the word that you would teach us, help us, help us in our struggles, help us in our victories, help us mature in the Lord Jesus. That's my prayer. I pray for those that are here in this room or watching online that are, that are hurting relationally. Lord, I pray for you to meet them in their loneliness. I pray for this church to be able to help them in any way we can. I pray for those who are sick, God, that you would raise them up, bring your healing. We thank you for the joy of the Lord as our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So, has anybody in this room or watching online never had a doubt about God? Raise your hand if you've never had a doubt. Yeah, I was going to say, Darcy, you want to come up here? <laughs> you want to come up and share that with us? Doubt is an inevitable part of the Christian experience because of our limitations in fully understanding God. That's why I'm so thankful for Jesus, because Jesus shows us what God is like. It's a little confusing until you get to Jesus, and he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But, but doubts come in whys, right? Why is this happening? Doubts come in, where are you, God, you know, in the middle of this? Doubts come in what-ifs. We play the what-if scenario over and over. Like, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't happen? What if we get a bad report? What if I get laid off? Fill in the blank there over and over and over. Doubt and faith, interestingly, in my opinion, are uh, they're opposites, but sometimes we walk in faith in spite of our doubts. How many know what I'm talking about? You got doubts, but you're going to keep you're going to keep walking anyway. You're going to keep walking after Jesus. I think about when you read the Bible, one of the reasons I know the Bible is, is reliable is it doesn't paint a pretty picture all the time of the people that God used to further his purposes. I thought about John the Baptist. He, here he is, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner, the prophet, announcing the kingdom, setting the stage for Jesus. And he sees Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus and he hears the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then all of a sudden John the Baptist gets thrown in jail for calling out Herod. And he knows he's in trouble and he eventually gets beheaded, right? 
But when he's in, in prison, he's going, hmm, this isn't how I thought this was going to work out. So he sends some of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And, you know, Jesus didn't uh, rebuke that. He just went on and he said, tell them what you've seen. Now, if John the Baptist is going to have doubts, pretty sure we are going to have doubts. We're going to go through seasons of doubt. The disciples, they walked with Jesus for three years, saw him do miracles, ate with him, did ministry with him, and they still doubted even after the resurrection. At, at the end of Luke, it says that some still doubted. You saw the man rise from the grave. Like, it's easy for me to look back and judge and say, what are you doing? So let's talk about that a little bit this morning. We're, we're in a, going through the gospel of Luke, what we've been doing since the beginning of the year. And we're looking at the life of Jesus, what he said, what he did, and, and ultimately the crescendo of his death on the cross and his resurrection and how he came to seek and save that which was lost. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, picking up in verse 26. It says, after eight days, about eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. And, and as these two men were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here, and let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. But while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Now, whenever you're reading the Bible, whenever you're talking about Scripture, it's so important to know the context. Context is what was said before and what was said after. That's why it's so easy to take a verse of Scripture out of context and use it in a way when you don't understand those, those two bookends. So the context of this story is Jesus had taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Have I told you lately I've been to Israel? <laughs> we went to Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus, his fame is starting to pick up speed. And he asks the disciples, who, who do the people say I am? They say, oh, some say you're, you're, you know, you're Elijah, you're a prophet, come back from the dead. And then he turns it on them and he says, guys, who do you say I am? And Peter immediately says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, 
My Father in heaven revealed that to you. And, and, and upon this revelation of who I am, this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. You ever think about this? Gates are defensive. And Jesus is saying the gates of hell, he's going to blow it up. He's going he's to have his way in what he was doing for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, when we went to Israel, we were at Caesarea Philippi. We, I learned for the first time that at Caesarea Philippi, this, it was a place where pagan idol worship happened in, to foreign gods and all this stuff. And they called the place there at Caesarea Philippi the gates of hell. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the, I'm the true and living God, and the gates of hell are not going to stand against who he was. So right after Peter gets this revelation in an attaboy, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to have to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men. Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, not on my watch. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him harshly. He said, get behind me, Satan. Like, whoa. And he, he didn't, Peter didn't realize the spirit that he was of. And Jesus said, you don't have in mind, uh, you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. You have your own agenda, Peter, and you need to lay your agenda down. So then Jesus then takes them to the mountain right after that happened. Let's dig into the background of this story just a little bit. Let's talk about the privilege of the three, Peter, James, and John. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three that were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Several times in the Gospels, we see where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to witness him do a miracle. He took them when he raised the little girl from the dead. He only took the three. There was something that he wanted them, them to see. And this event of the transfiguration, seeing Jesus in all his glory, was going to give them confidence in the face of suffering and martyrdom and death that they were all going to experience. He was going to say, hey, you draw back on this time where you saw my glory, and it's going to help you in your doubts. It's going to help you in the, in the middle of difficulty. Jesus was assuring them of who he really was. And I think he did that because he had just told them that he was going to suffer, that he was going to lay his life down to be raised to new life, to give us eternal life. And he just told him he was going to suffer, and that, that sounds like a weak Messiah to them. What do you mean you're going to die? Like, you're our, you're our general. You're our David-like Messiah. You're going to make Israel great again, right? That's what, that was his whole, whole plan, that, what the, the disciples thought Jesus was supposed to do. And he's he didn't do it. That's not the way he was bringing that. So when you're reading Scripture, and we're reading the letters of Paul and Peter and so forth, we are reading eyewitness accounts to Jesus Christ. It's not a fable or a fairy tale or a legend. You are reading eyewitness accounts, just like when you read other history things that happened about World War II or this or that, eyewitness accounts, Peter was. And here's what Peter says in his, his second letter. He's writing to a group of churches that are suffering and going through all kinds of difficulties and probably doubting, like, is this Jesus thing really going to work out? And here's what Peter says. He says, for we did not follow 
cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's take drawing on that experience that's already helped him through persecution and telling a a group of believers and telling you and I today in the midst of our doubts about who Jesus really is and that Jesus will be faithful to his promises. And we got to remember who it is we're talking about, the creator of the cosmos, the redeemer, the sustainer, Jesus Christ. Second background of this is the witness of the two. I wrote down the witness of the two. Why were Elijah and Moses showed up on this mountain? Well, Jesus over and over in the Gospels talks about how he, ha- he came to fulfill that which was written about him in the law and the prophets, right? And so they represent the law and the prophets, all, all the Old Testament stuff that Jesus came to, to fulfill. Elijah, he's the prophet. He was a great prophet. And he for, the, the, the prophets foretold Jesus' coming, and they gave a calling to, to repent and change your thinking about who God is. And then Moses, he equals the, the law. If you remember, Moses was used by God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, and, and God, through angels, gave the law to Moses to set apart the, the Israelites from all the other nations around and how they were going to live, how they were to worship God, and so forth. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. Elijah was a great prophet. Jesus is our true prophet. Moses was the deliverer. Jesus is our true and ultimate deliverer. And then lastly, the the glory of the one, the Lord Jesus, this this radiance glory that they saw him transfigure before their eyes, the way that we will see him when we go to the other side into eternity. We'll see what that Jesus, like they saw. Isn't that amazing? We will see him as he is, and we will be changed because of that, First John says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about how big of a deal Jesus is. <laughs> he, he, he is the deal. He is a really big deal. He's the radiance of his glory, meaning the Father, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Something else that was happening in this transfiguration. The Father was assuring Jesus that he would be with him on his journey through the cross. I love that. You're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to my son, he says. Listen to him. He's the answer. Now, we can have that too. We, we can have that. Remember, Jesus was in the garden on the night he was betrayed, and he was praying to the Father, and he had read about himself in the Scriptures. He had read Isaiah 53 and the suffering of the Messiah and what he was going to have to go through. He knew it was coming. Now that hour had made, it, made its way. And if you remember what he says, he says, Father, if there's another way than this, let's do that. 
And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he knew it. But I love the humanity of Jesus there. He goes, is there another way? You know, because this doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. And here's what I want you to get from this. If you're doubting, you're struggling, you're worrying about something in your life today, would you be real with the Father? Be real and honest. He already knows your doubts. You're not hiding anything from him. You know, it's like we take our doubts and shove them in the drawer and close it. Oh, hi, God, you know, and act like we don't have doubts. There's nothing in the drawer. Don't look in there. He knows every thought. He knows everything we're already going through. Be real and honest with him. God, I'm struggling believing this. I'm struggling with this. That's where he wants us to be. That's relationship. Because sometimes we bought this message that if you ever have a doubt, then you must not be a real Christian. That's hogwash. And, and we need to just be real and honest with him. It says in, in verse 31 that they appeared in heavenly glory, and we're talking about Moses and Elijah, discussing Jesus, Jesus' approaching death at what he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Jesus was talking about, hey, I'm about to go to the cross. I know what's, what's coming here. Remember this. When you're struggling, remember who the object of worship is in your life. It's the Lord Jesus. He is the object of worship. When we come together to sing or you're singing in your car or at home or whatever, we are lifting Jesus up in his rightful place. And when we see him for who he is, all these other things seem to get put in their proper place that we're struggling with. He's the purpose of life. He's the hope of life. We're going to trust him to turn our trials to good, our sorrow to joy, our stress to peace. So let's make this practical for the next few minutes. How do you deal with doubt practically? We're all going to go through it. We're all going to go through seasons where we, we struggle because life happens and then we go, uh-oh, life's not going the way I thought it was going. Where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of all of this? And we get caught off guard. First thing I would say is how to deal with doubt by lear learn to answer the questions that matter the most. Learn to answer the questions that matter the most. In other words, answer the answerable questions. That there are things in life we don't have answers to. I don't know why Channing Sump, who's not even a year old, has a cancerous tumor in his nasal cavity. I don't know. I don't know why it, things happen. And I may never know in this, this side of heaven. We may, may never know why we go through what we go through. But there are answerable questions that in the middle of our struggle, we get to answer. That Jesus actually asks us two questions. The first one, I told you about what he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? That's the most, one of the most, the most important questions you can answer in your life. Who is Jesus Christ? I'm with Peter, and I know you are too. Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my shepherd. You're the great I am. And then Jesus asks us another question that we can answer. Will you follow me? 
Will you follow me even when it's difficult? Will you follow me when life happens? Will you trust me? Will you, will you give it over to me? Will you let me weep with you? Will you let me walk with you? Let me heal you. Who do you say I am and will you follow me? Now, there are things that we use every day that we don't understand how they work, like a cell phone. I mean, maybe some of you do, but I just want it to work. I want to download, you know, money or do this or, or text and, and a, the internet. Do you understand how the internet works? I sure don't. I just know I get mad when it's the spinny wheel thing begins to happen and I can't send something through or driving a car. Like, I really don't know a whole lot about a car, but I like it to get me from point A to point B and, and so forth. So there are things, you, you know, when it comes to, uh, I think the enemy comes to try to tell us, oh, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. Our faith is in him. It's not how much faith we have. It's who our faith is in that's most important. I think learning to answer answerable questions puts doubt in its proper place, in perspective. I, I thought about this little, it's almost like a math problem, but doubt leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to faith. Faith leads to convictions. Convic convictions lead to a changed life. Let me do that again. Doubt leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Do you know that skeptics make the best followers of Jesus when they get their questions answered and they, they finally understand that. So questions lead to answers. Answers uh, lead to faith. Faith leads to convictions, and convictions lead to a changed life. How did the disciples change? They went from, they all scattered the night that Jesus was betrayed to being willing to lay down their lives to martyrdom. After the resurrection, they had conviction, and it changed their life. Second thing on dealing with doubt, this is hard for all of us, is let go of control. Any of my fellow control freaks up, up in here? <laughs> I don't know if we should be proud of that or not, but Peter, control freak, let's build tabernacles, Lord, and he's, you know, let's do something to, to try to reframe this moment or keep them here. The disciples were always trying to intersect Jesus' plan with their own plan and agenda. Remember the story in the Gospels when uh, Jesus was going to go into a town and the people were not going to be hospitable to Jesus? And so James and John say, hey, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven on them? Jesus was like, you don't know what spirit you're of. You have no idea what you're saying. Should we call fire down? You, didn't, you weren't hospitable to my friend Darcy and his wife Annette. Should I run you over with my car? Like, <laughs> should we put poison in your food? That's what they said. Like, think about that. And control freaks, man. So when I was thinking about this, we... They're, they're being a control freak. Here's an occupation I know I would be terrible at. Driver's ed teacher. <laughs> Those people who are driver's ed teachers have some sort of fortitude 
my kids will tell you, like, the one, I, I feel like I was a pretty good dad and present. I was terrible in teaching them how to drive. Absolutely, they'll, they'll tell you. <laughs> like, just control freak. Ah, push the brake. You're going too slow. You know, take, don't take the turn so fast. Always raising my voice. And, man, I'm still sorry. Chandler, I'm so sorry. Like, it was terrible parenting there. Because you got to give up control, and you're putting your life in the hands of a teenager who hasn't driven before. Some of you are experiencing this right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Doubt comes from not feeling like you're in control. When, when, and then when things feel out of control, that's when we doubt. So there's four things, I think, in letting go of control we need to give over to God. First of all, give God your fears. Our fears show us where we're not, we're not walking in faith. I, I, I've said this before, but when you've experienced God in your life in a certain way, um, you begin to trust more and more and more, and you don't doubt. For me, and I say this, I don't, I'm not saying this with pride, but I trust God for provision. I've seen him supernaturally provide. And so have many of you. So I don't worry about is there going to be enough or this or that. I really don't. But when it comes to like health, I can be quite the hypochondriac. I really can't. I've never had a health crisis. So, uh oh, why do I feel this way? Or what's that? And uh, should you WebMD? And, and just stupid. Like I cause myself problems there. But I've, I've, some of you have had to have God walk with you through a health crisis. You're not too worried about it. You don't want to get sick again or go through it again, but hey, you, you know how God works in the middle of that. In Psalm 46.10, it says, surrender your anxiety, be silent, and stop your striving, and you will see that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we got to be still to know he's God. Just slow down and be still and be with him. And then... Give God your future. Some of us in here just need to say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. So you hold the future for me. The prophet Jeremiah said, Oh Lord, I know it is not within the power of man to map his life and plan his course. Young people watching are in the room. Don't think to yourself, what do I want to be when I grow up? Say, God, what do you want me to do when I'm older? What do you want me to do in my next step? Always include the Lord and say, Lord, my future is yours. Because you know what? If you do that, you will walk in his plan and you walk in, in, in what he's ordained for you. Then you're not bummed when you're doing something different, thinking coulda, shoulda, woulda. So parents, help your kids be, be and do what God wants them to do not what you want them to do. That's the most important thing we can do. And then give God your feelings, letting go of control. We're controlled by our emotions. We're controlled often by our feelings. I know when I was first walking with Jesus that I had several faith crises that were all about feelings. I didn't feel God. I didn't feel close to God. And I've learned that it's not about feelings, that as 2 Corinthians says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Feelings can lie. 
feelings. You can, hey, everything's great. Look, there's money in the bank. Da, 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 I'm well Uh-oh, I just got laid off and blah, blah. And we just ride this roller coaster. We walk by, walk by faith, not by feelings. Then give God your circumstances. Give him your circumstances. We're told by the Apostle Paul to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, you don't have to be thankful for the circumstance, the, the trial. Be thankful for what God's going to do and produce in you and through you and for you because of that. Lastly, listen to Jesus. This is the most important one. If you're going to deal with your doubts, listen to Jesus. Doubt and fear speak subtly and often. Subtly and often, we're getting the little doubts. Again, to our young people in here uh, or watching, find your identity in who Jesus says you are. Find your identity in the love of God, not the world and the peripheral things. All of us, don't find your identity in your looks, your money, your house, your job, your career, your, your success. None of that matters. What matters is what Jesus says about us and who we are because of him. The Father says to these doubting disciples, this is my son, listen to him. Man, it's important. There's a lot of competing voices, a lot of voices trying to lie and sway us. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the very wisdom of God. And in the book of Proverbs, one of the, the wisdom books of the Bible, you know this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Trust in the Lord. Now, Jesus, several times in the gospel, says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He is the truth, and he says, I tell you the truth. Jesus is not a liar. There is a liar the father of lies, the evil one, and all he does is lie, Jesus said. He's the father of lie. He can't help but lie. Jesus is not a liar. There is a liar trying to steal your heart, your mind, your direction. Listen to Jesus. Here's what I thought we could do. I already did this exercise and. Jesus spoke to me in an instant. He's, I believe he's going to do this for you too. Where are you doubting today? Where are you worrying? Worrying and doubt are brother and sister. So where are you? what are you worrying about? Where are you doubting in your life? Write it down. Now what I want you to do is let's, let's close our eyes and think about what you wrote down or whatever it is that's got you worried or doubting. Now listen to Jesus. How would Jesus respond to your doubt? What's his word to you? 
when I did this, he answered it like that. He's going to do it for you. Maybe it's the still small voice of the Lord within us. Maybe it's a verse of Scripture. He answered mine with a verse. Trust Him with what He says to you. He's not a liar. He is truth. And He has an answer to our doubt. His answer might be, let me worry about it. Let me handle it. I got you. I know he would say that to all of us. I got you and I got this. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brother and sister. He's not ashamed of his family. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of of us when we doubt and struggle. He wants to help us. He wants to grow us. Let's let him. He is the answer. and he, he has the answer. And if it's an unanswerable thing, put it aside. Let him deal with it. You stand with me. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for everyone watching. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for one another. Thank you that you meet us right where we're at, Lord. And we don't change ourselves. You change us from the inside out as we follow you. feel like a word for somebody in this room or watching is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Doubt makes us feel guilty. Worry makes us feel guilty. There's no condemnation in Christ. But let him build your faith. 